0: Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. Now, I'm probably one of the few people left who has a long history of analysing the global thermal coal market. But even so, a couple of years ago, I decided to retire our thermal coal supply and demand model as I thought it was a sunset market that no one would be asking us about. Well, that model's being dusted off now. In my recent marketing trip to the US, about 80% of meetings started with a thermal coal discussion, whether directly for that market or to talk about the impact on Henry Hub gas. Undoubtedly, energy is the trade at the present time. We're in a calorie constrained world. And while there will need to be some demand adjustment to this, it's hard to do that in short order. In contrast, metals demand is already adjusting to a combination of passive destocking at well-supplied end-users, the underlying effect of inflation, and a weaker-than-expected China, and this could easily get worse before it gets better. However, given this scenario, it's always interesting to think about when this might turn. Let's fast-forward to August. Perhaps we're getting past the traditional Northern Hemisphere summer peak power load period. European utilities and end-consumers have perhaps stocked up on fossil fuels, with gas storage getting full. India's removed the mandate for utilities to purchase coal, Well, then you could see a peak in the energy market, not to say it won't still be tight, but at the margin, purchasers will be less desperate. Then you could see some interest in a rotation back towards metals, but only if Chinese data is showing clear signs of improvement. And while this is our base case, admittedly, it is still a big if at present, and it's a little bit too early to be positioning for that quite yet. Now, to the previous point, We had a round of Chinese May data released this week, which pointed to the struggles that have driven the increasingly aggressive policy response seen in recent weeks. Certainly, there was sequential improvement in industrial production, which returned to year-on-year growth, and some high-frequency indicators continue to improve, but they're not yet at the level seen in March. Perhaps more notably, unemployment continued to rise, particularly youth unemployment, and construction data was terrible. Floor space started in May was down 42% on year-ago levels, while floor space completed fell 31% year-on-year. That's the largest decline in recent history. This is the most metal-intensive sector of the Chinese economy, and reinforces that Chinese metals demand will be down year-on-year for the first half as a whole. Year-to-date, cement output is down 15% and social stocks of cement are almost double year-ago levels. Land area purchases down 40% year-on-year, so there's little sign that developers are starting to rebuild a pipeline of future activity. To be clear, we expect a response from China's stimulus, and data to improve during the third quarter. However, this will be a less metals-intensive stimulus than seen in the past. It's not construction-led. Also in the data, Chinese steel exports surged almost 50% year-on-year to 91 million tonnes per annum. Now contrast this to the second half of last year, when global prices were high, Chinese demand was weak, and yet exports fell. If you wanted some confirmation that decarbonisation is on the back burner for now until the economy is back on track, well, this is it. These export volumes, coupled with the start of a steel destocking cycle at end users, has seen a dramatic sell-off in steel prices in recent weeks, and there may be more to go. However, should f and when, China stimulus have more effect, you'd expect to see domestic prices rise to attract this material back from the export market. This is something we will be watching for closely. Steel and indeed ferrous scrap are very liquid physical spot markets, and thus a very good gauge of underlying activity levels. It's certainly time for central bankers to earn their corn, with inflation continuing to accelerate, but growth concerns to the fore. We've seen a week of emergency meetings and renewed worries over market meltdown. And naturally, much attention has reverted to the monetary policy trajectory. Not least of what the Fed would have done at the, the FOMC meeting we had earlier this week. Now, the 75 basis point rate hike that was announced was only priced in by markets at the very last minute after consumer and producer prices showed little to no sign of abating anytime soon. With the ECB joining the rate hike club, confirming plans to lift the key interest rate by 25 basis points at the July meeting and rise again in September. Well, concern over the inability of central banks to rein in searing inflation really is mounting. And the extent that an accelerating rate hike cycle will drag on economic growth. The cost of living crisis that is emerging has somewhat forced the hands of central banks to act more decisively, if not a little late. But we remain somewhat sceptical as to how quickly this monetary policy move can quell rising prices, given the breadth of increases that are now manifesting in inflation indices. BMO economics team now expect the Fed to stop at 3.375% in December. That's blowing past the neutral range of approximately 2.5%, beyond which would typically be restrictive for growth. And, of course, there's naturally risk that this course of action will precipitate a recession. The rate through for industrial metal demand is actually negative. Outlook for precious metals is a little less clear. While in the face of spiking treasure yields, it is difficult to see how, over the medium term, gold does not come under pressure, we do see a scenario where gold, for now, holds up relatively well, fueled by market uncertainty, the continued inflationary pressures, equity market meltdowns, and geopolitical tensions. For commodities, I would say, as a whole, the tail risk I'm somewhat surprised not to be answering more questions on. Is the potential for more emerging market blow-ups as food price inflation bites the grains importers into the third quarter. It is worth remembering that emerging markets ex-China are generally around 25-30% to 30% of metals consumption, larger than the developed world. This is what worries me when I look at second half projections. <music> Lastly, one of the big stories in markets recently has been the decline in cryptocurrencies. And while the gold versus Bitcoin debate always gets a lot of press, the first thing that I would point out is that the positive crypto correlation is with tech stocks, which makes a bit of sense if you think about it. Secondly, the typical Bitcoin investor base typically has more overlap with silver's investors rather than the macro asset allocators and central banks that drive the gold market. So what's happening in silver, a metal that's really not had a lot of love this year? Well, unlike gold, which has seen net inflows into ETFs of about 225 tonnes year-to-date, the silver ETPs have seen net outflows of 269 tonnes since the start of the year. In fact, silver exchange-traded products have seen net outflows of over 1,000 tonnes since late February before the Fed embarked on monetary policy tightening and before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And after a 36% year on year rise in bar and coin sales last year, we do expect a slight reversal this year as the wealth effect diminishes, though admittedly to levels above the norm seen in recent history. While well, we expect the gold to silver ratio in the long term to revert to around 70 to 1, at the moment mounting recessionary signals, geopolitical tensions, and the inflation we discussed before mean an environment of risk off persisting in the near term, which on balance should favour gold above silver. Ultimately, as we discussed previously, tightening monetary policy will weigh on gold in the medium term. And silver is more insulated a bit from this given the price corrections owing to the importance of industrial demand, where we do see over a 100 million ounce gain in industrial silver demand by 2030 over 2021 levels. That will be supported by the rollout of 5G infrastructure, rising EV penetration rates, further growth in the consumer electronics and wearable sector, and accelerating solar power generation capacity additions. For context, that 100 million ounces is roughly equivalent to the total amount of primary silver expected to be produced by China this year. And just a note, if we're talking correlations, well, the silver price has a 90% correlation with the moves of that other excellent electrical conductor this year, copper. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions, just get in touch directly. I do hope you can join me next time around to discuss more pertinent issues for the global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers or visit our website at researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series. BMO Equity Research in tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.